Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. If you think the words that come out of this guy's mouth on the show are bad, you ought to hear the shit before we record. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on the final of uh, three pre-recorded shows. And on this week's episode uh, in Pipe Parts, we've got a Ask the Pipe Maker with Jeff Grasick. And then we have a novice pipe smoker, seven questions for a pipe smoker that's had two to five years of experience. And that is our, my guest is Misha Zigis. And uh, Misha is actually a, a younger guy, so that, that was fun to get to know him. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant time, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, please leave an iTunes rating and review wherever you are. That would be much appreciated. Uh, if you're following me on Facebook or Instagram, I've tried to post, and I'll try. You know, I'll, I'll post some pictures of me from the trip if the trip actually goes off as planned. And I've talked about that before, so I won't bore you with that anyway. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll post stuff. I'll try to post something every day or so. Me and my pipe somewhere. Yeah, my travel pipes. Um, might try to show more than just uh, just my usual travel pipes. You never know. Uh, please keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever you are. Remember, brand new episodes drop every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern USA time and then are available for download and streaming. Uh, if you're new to the show, make sure and go back and listen to the old shows as well as keeping current with the new ones. I did, uh, early on, I made a, a big effort to try to keep the shows as evergreen as possible. So lots of great interviews in the past, you know, over 473 shows now. So uh, lots of time to go back and listen to and get caught up on what has happened. All that sitting there free for you to download and stream and listen to at your own leisure, wherever you happen to enjoy a podcast. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Pipe Parts for Ask the Pipe Maker is the pipe maker of J. Allen Pipes, Jeff Grasick. Jeff, welcome back. It's been a little bit, hasn't it? It has been. Thanks for having me back, Brian. Yeah. All right, so th this is kind of a timely question for you because uh, just recently I had 
a pipe maker named uh, Jody Davis, who you're familiar with and might have spent some time working in his workshop with him a little bit here and there, maybe. The name rings a bell. The name rings a bell. Yeah. So we uh, we went in-depth into his creation of a brand new shape, and it's the Amore, the, mm-hmm. the bent heart looking one. Mm-hmm. And I just thought maybe in uh, in eight to ten minutes, maybe you could tell us either what your process is for coming up with a new shape or what you suggest other pipe makers do if they want to create their own shape. I don't know. That's kind of vague and broad, but um, I guess from the start, do you, do you work off of a drawing and do some three dimensional drawings to figure out if a shape's going to work? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, some, to say that there's a process, I think, would be a bit of a stretch, at least in my workshop. Um, I tend to approach these kinds of things maybe differently than Jody might or uh, other pipe makers do. And I, I can't speak to someone else's process. But mine, so first of all, let me share kind of an, an, an opinion before we get into this. Uh-oh. Can I do that? Yeah, here we go. Fire away. Yeah, are, yeah. So, you, you know, everybody's got one, and I'm going to share mine. And you are the leading so expert on I your think, opinion. I, I, I may be. Yeah. I don't know. Other people might have uh, uh, better versions of my opinion. Who knows? So I'll let your listeners decide that. So for me, I, I have observed from other young pipe makers, something that I experienced when I was starting, which is there was some pressure from the community at large and possibly from some other more experienced pipe makers to find your own voice Mm -hmm. or develop your own shapes. Don't copy what other people do. And I was influenced by that, but in reflection on what I produced at that time, and as I look through old photographs of what I made, a lot of it was, to my eye now, really strained, that I didn't know enough about pipe making and about pipe design to know how to explore. And maybe that's you know similar to how mm-hmm. most people working in the arts are educated, which is learn how to copy, learn how to do the basics before you begin finding your own voice, because you don't know what your voice, you don't know enough to know what your voice is or to even how to execute it. If you did have a voice, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 You got to learn how to walk before you can run. Precisely. Precisely. So that's advice that I'd wish that I wish I had had earlier. That being said, I don't regret any of the the steps that I made. I see some pipes that I think probably would have been better not to have been executed, but (laughs) hey. So there's my digression. What I would say for my approach to designing a new shape is that I I can approach it a, a number of different ways. Perhaps I have a customer who comes to me with an idea or says, shows me a shape and says, hey, I would like something kind of inspired by this. Can you make something that is yours. And sometimes I will start out by making that shape as closely as I can just to understand it. Other times 
I'll see something right away and either want to sketch it down and show it to the person or just to grab the briar and begin shaping just to get the idea out in the, in the wood as it were. That's, that is one approach where someone comes to you with an idea or yeah. with an inspiration and asks you to make some changes to develop a, a like a wholly new idea. I don't have, I don't, I don't really ever sit down and look at it that way. Uh, I don't sit down and have like a creative time. Instead, what I'll do is maybe have an order from someone who says, Hey, just make me something, make it, you know, I want to sandblast. I want it to be this long, have fun. Those are really fun. Those can be really challenging orders because you're like, Oh my God, now I gotta, <laughs> like this person's paying good money for something. I better make something interesting. And you think, man, it would just be so much easier to make a billiard today than to, uh, than to actually have to do something really creative. Other days, other times you look at it and go, oh, this is, it's a lot of fun. And I really, really want to um, make something great for this person, which I do for all of my orders. But where you, you know, there, there's a special challenge that lies inside an order like that. And that's how I tend to work best, where someone gives me very loose, yeah. um, loose parameters and then I can have fun with it. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with some of the paneled pipes that I've made over the past year and a half, two years. A lot of those, th those actually started with kind of a single order for, from someone who said, just make me something different. I, I have a whole bunch of your pipes there. You know what they are. Um, make me something you haven't made before. And that was the first thing that, that came out. And the person was like, that's amazing. And then I got a whole bunch of other orders for it. <laughs> so first of all, I was glad that, you know, this person was happy with what I made. I was glad that it turned out well, and uh, it was it was great to see the reception from the community. So you so you did some panels, and you then you got yourself boxed into doing more square stuff. Yeah, nice pun, man. Thank you. I, was, <laughs> I had I had <laughs> I it written see, down I, too. Listeners, uh, you you can't see what we can see, but I could see it in in Brian's eyes, and he was like, "I got something here." Yeah. <laughs> but let, let's go back to what you said about sometimes you'll just grab a block and start playing with an idea uh, mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. I, i'm gonna assume you're not gonna you're not gonna grab one of your most premium blocks and start goofing around on a really good block and with an idea that may turn into a doorstop i mean that's how i end up with such a you know i have a big pile of rejects or ideas that weren't seen through to completion that sometimes you do need to grab a block like that uh, you'll grab a premium block because maybe I let's just say I have a customer who says I want your highest grade I want the you know the very nicest thing you can make me you know you don't a lot of times I don't want to start out with practice I just want to go for it you trust your yeah. instincts and sometimes you end up with a dog and it ends up in that pile other times you know you you hit a grand slam and then, of course, when you're working on a new shape, you also know the exact internal dimensions that you need for the bowl and everything. Because mm -hmm. cause at the end of the day, if, it's a, if it doesn't have the J. Allen pipes smoking characteristics, you don't care what it looks like, do you? Well, I, I do care what it looks like. But <laughs> well, yes, yeah, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't smoke like a pipe, then it's not, it's not worthy of my stamp, in my opinion. Um. So yeah, that, that is a really important point that when I am designing, whether it's on paper or grabbing a block to shape a pipe, mm -hmm. 
that is a new shape to me, I'm always aware of where the internals will be when I'm shaping it. So none of that is ever, I'm, I'm always thinking through how, uh, how am I going to drill this? How is this going to, if it's a designed or conceived as a sitter, where should the weight distribution be, especially with a mouthpiece that isn't there yet or any other features that are added so that it will sit. So all of these things have to be kept in mind as you are, as you are proceeding with a shape. Um, and you kind of learn that through hard knocks early on when you, you have a shape that you're like, oh, this is a great idea. And you get it done and you look at it and you're like, there's no way this is possible to be drilled. I guess I'm going to be making a bamboo pipe instead of this thing. Yeah. And by that, listeners, what I mean is that you have to cut the shank off because you can't drill it. You cut the shank off, you put bamboo on it, and now you have a bamboo pipe. <laughs> and then that, and then that draft hole can make that odd little connection. Exactly, exactly. So we can thank bamboo for saving many, many a pipe. And and then for the newer pipe makers that are listening, you said you know you know get get the mastery of the basics before you really start riffing on the on your own version. There's mm -hmm. no hard and fast amount of pipes to that is there it's just no it's just you know it when it's ready right you you know when that yeah, person's gotten yeah. there and you know i don't want to say i i don't want my words at the beginning of this conversation to discourage people from experimenting because there's no hard line between when you are learning and when you're ready to make fancy uh experimental shapes there's a real uh, real blurry and probably pretty large um, area of time or, or, or span of time in which someone is still refining their basics but has enough chops that they can begin experimenting or has enough uh, experience to, to be making educated opinions yeah. about a, uh, or judgments about how to design something. And, and at the end of the day, it's kind of like what Tom Eltang said. Yeah, I can sit and make bamboo pokers all day long, but it gets kind of boring, and I need that fun time to, to play and come up with these wow shapes, you know. That, yes, that, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like some, you know, some of it is, is more craft, and some of it is more art. And the at the beginning, you're learning the craft. And once you've learned the craft, then you can be begin exploring the art. Jeff, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for this discussion. Hope everybody's encouraged and not discouraged. I agree. I hope, uh, I hope everybody uh, takes something positive away from this. Thanks, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. 
Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with a seven questions for a novice pipe smoker. We took a break from them for a little bit here, but I'm happy to get back to get back to you, uh, you newer guys. I don't want to say younger, but you are younger, so you get to be younger and newer. So how's that? <laughs> Welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, Misha Zigas. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. You nailed it. Okay, good. So <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. Great to be here. Looking forward to our uh, conversation. All right. So let's get to know you. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up? Uh, and when did pipe smoking come into your life? Yeah. So um, I guess if I grew up is a loaded question. If you <laughs> ask my girlfriend, she'd probably say no. And I would <laughs> err on the side of agreeing with her. Um, but I grew up in upstate New York in, in the Finger Lakes. So small town and it's called Corning, New York. Mm -hmm. Um, it's about an hour south of Ithaca, two hours south of Rochester, if anyone's familiar. Um, pretty sleepy little town, not much to do, lots of farmland uh, kind of surrounding the, the main portion of town. Um, I kind of got into tobacco and, and smoking when I was 18, so about a decade ago. There was a small cigar store, you know, tobacconist on the main street. Um, been around for, I think, 120 years. It, it was one of the oldest continuously running tobacco shops in, in the country at the time. So my buddies and I, who didn't really have anything to do, would just go down there in the mornings, um, afternoons and evenings most days. So you know, three or three or four times a day, and we just kind of grab a cigar and sit down and talk with the shopkeepers and anyone else who happened to wander in and kind of spend our summers there and, and spend our uh, vast majority of our time there. Um, ended up going to uh, college, got a degree in actuarial science, so sort of an applied mathematics degree. So you're, I, wait, wait a second, you're the one that figures out when I'm going to die and how much it's going to cost in advance and you want to know how much money we need up front before we are going to pay off when he dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so we, we build those, you know, um, mortality tables and, and, you know, risk mitigation for insurance companies and, and pension funds. I guess that was the idea. I got a degree in that and then had a few internships and decided um, maybe this isn't really what I want to do for the next 40 years of my life. I still <laughs> like math, but I didn't really enjoy, um, you know, sitting in at a desk for eight hours a day and just pouring over Excel spreadsheets and, and uh, you know, risk models. So, I actually transitioned into the software space. So now I'm um, an account executive at a SaaS company. So we sell software to other, um, you know, business to business companies, which I enjoy a lot more because I, I get to interact with people. I don't have to sit um, and just kind of look at a computer screen and not talk to anyone all day. Um, <laughs> even though I do work <laughs> from home, I don't really talk to anyone anyway, besides my customers. But um, yeah, it, it's really nice. My math degrees. Uh, you know, kind of worthless at this point. Right? I don't <laughs> use it at all. But um, so long story short, I took a little bit of a break in college from cigars and um, tobacco because, you know, of financial reasons. Being a poor college student, I couldn't really afford to smoke all that often. Um, after school, I kind of got back into it. I actually had smoked um, a pipe 
during that period, we would go over the border into Pennsylvania where the tobacco taxes were a lot less. Yeah. Um, and, and we'd go to a store just, just right over the border and, and we'd pick up, um, you know, some cheap cigars a, you know, once a month, maybe, um, at some point, I picked up a basket pipe and a bag of some cherry Cavendish aromatic that I smoked, you know, two or three times. Never really stuck with it. Didn't really get the point. Wasn't really sure why it didn't taste like it smelled, which is a very common theme, yeah. uh, as I've seen with the rest of the novice smokers. Um, but a couple and of the years veteran, ago, the veteran smokers are all like, yeah, that cherry stuff some, doesn't taste anything like what it smells. So. No, not at all. And I, I've seen that with other aromatics as well. It's hard to translate the, the taste, um, from what the aroma is. Um, but a, a few years ago, after I'd gotten back into cigars pretty heavily, a couple of the forums that I was on had pipe sections. So I was doing research and, and reading about all the different tobaccos and, and seeing people really enjoy um, pipe smoking in conjunction with their cigar habits. Yeah. Um, so I decided to pick it up again, um, try it out again, but I a bit of an obsessive. So I did as much research as I possibly could before jumping in. So the learning curve wasn't as steep. Um, you know, watching videos from Mutton Shop, um, reading as many forum posts as I could, listening to podcasts. And, and then I kind of jumped in with both feet into the deep end and picked up some pipes and picked up tobacco. And um, it's it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> yes, but it's a lot cheaper downhill than buying cigars. Oh, yeah. The the um, the cost per bowl versus a cigar is um it's crazy. Like I have much more pipe tobacco than I do cigars at this point. And, so. and you mentioned something that I don't, that I think we've talked about on the show before, but for, especially for people that do not live in the United States, uh, Pennsylvania and New Hampshire are really low tax States. So for people mm -hmm. that live in Massachusetts or in New York, they all want to run to Pennsylvania or New Hampshire to make all their, all their taxable sin, all their syntax purchases because you can literally, I mean, the cigar, the same cigar might be 40, 50% cheaper just by driving over the border. And the same thing happens with pipe tobacco too. Yeah, absolutely. The cigar store in my hometown, um, we'd go and we'd grab a stick for 10 or $11 and then we'd go over into Pennsylvania and that same cigar was, you know, six, seven, $8 instead. Yeah. Um, so, being a poor college student, it made a lot more sense to drive 20 minutes to do that instead. Yeah. Well, and with the math that you, with the math that you learned how to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The opportunity cost is, is pretty great. Yeah. Is there some actuary table for how far do I have to drive before it becomes a, <laughs> before it becomes a waste of time to go get that discount and back and forth? Yeah. I don't th think it exists right now, but I'd be happy to put one together in your, in your free time. So, all right, let's get into your questions. Yeah. Um, sure. So you, uh, you survived getting started smoking a pipe and what was your aha moment that when the pipes, you know, when it kind of stuck and when you got past that trial period. Yeah. So listening to other, you know, newer pipe smokers, I, I do, um, tend to agree with them that, 
you know, relights, they happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, understanding how to tamp and, and pack a bowl correctly. But I think the biggest thing for me was not expecting huge plumes of smoke as you would from like a cigar, right? Puffing on it too heavily, really um, getting the tobacco really hot and having the, these large plumes of smoke from the pipe itself, but also, you know, out of your mouth. Um, trying to focus on, on a more smooth cadence um, yeah. and, and just kind of understanding that maybe the, the smoke is going to be a little wispier, um, maybe almost sort of ethereal, right? Um, and slowing down was the biggest... Um, was the biggest thing for me to get to a point where I felt like I truly understood what it was to, to enjoy a pipe and, and um, smoke it correctly. Yeah. So tamping and relighting is perfectly fine. As I sit here and get ready, I've just tamped and now here it goes. I'm relighting. <laughs> um, exactly. Your second question is what tobaccos did you try based on a recommendation that you did not like? So one thing that I've heard through your other interviews is, is palettes differ, mm -hmm. you know, considerably from smoker to smoker. Fortunately, I, I feel my palate's relatively neutral when it comes to tobacco leaf varietals. Um, I kind of enjoy the, the whole spectrum. One that I tried that didn't really speak to me like it has to others is um, Semois. So, uh, tobacco <laughs> Manil, yeah. um, yeah, super dry, super earthy, a lot of minerality. And, um, it, it was fine. It wasn't something that I wouldn't smoke again. I still have a few ounces of it, but, um, it wasn't this sort of, uh, revelatory experience that seems other smokers have had, um, with yeah. it. So uh, I guess Samoa in, in that version of Burley is not something that I would generally smoke on a regular basis it got me high i was literally dizzy for like 20 <laughs> minutes and yeah anyway yeah it's, it's strong stuff it's strong stuff yeah i i've often thought about playing around with it with just you know seasoning a blend with it to see if it added stuff to it but i was i don't know i'm still a little gun shy so uh, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll have more with uh, Misha in just a moment. So stay with us. We'll be right back. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with novice pipe smoker Misha Zigis. And are you ready for question number three? Yeah, shoot. How has your preference in pipes changed over time? You know, bent, straight, smooth, rusticated, fancy, and so on. I, I think um, originally I gravitated more towards a, a bent, smooth shape. Um, there, there was something that was visually appealing and aesthetically appealing about that. But as I began purchasing pipes, I, I think now 
my preferences lie more in uh, straight classic shapes with you know really nice uh, rustication or, or sandblasting. I still enjoy a smooth pipe, mm-hmm. but a lot of what I um, am looking at now for my own purchases are you know billiards, Canadians, pokers. Um, not really a big bent fan um, or, or sort of out there artistically. Um, I, I really enjoy the the classic shapes um, and and a straight pipe now. Does the straight rusticated or sandblasted, does that also kind of help with where you're able to smoke and make, you know, make it a little more durable for setting down if you're outside smoking? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, the bent shapes are a little bit difficult to, to set down unless you have a, a pipe stand. Um, I'm relegated to the outside. I don't have anywhere to smoke indoors. Um, so having something that I can easily set down on a table or, or on just a stand next to me while I'm on my patio um, does lend itself well to a, a straight shape versus a bent. Uh, the only reason I mention that is that as we're recording this, I'm getting ready to leave for my trip and the pipes that I'm taking with me are all basic straights and they're all sandblasts and they're all easier to just set down somewhere and maybe lean up against a coffee cup or something. So yeah. All right. Ready for your next question? Sure. What was your Holy grail pipe when you started smoking a pipe and what is it now? So when I first started smoking, I think the, the company or the, the pipes that, um, I saw as sort of aspirational were things like um, Savinelli. Mm-hmm. I, and, and as I did more research and I, I started learning more about, um, you know, these independent pipe carvers or, or some uh, higher end um, pipe factories, I think now <laughs> I, I, pie in the sky would probably be something like, um, like uh, Yes Conowitz yeah. or, um, you know, uh, Nana Iverson, something like that. Um, but I guess something more realistic. I really enjoy um, Tom Eltang, his pokers, mm-hmm. um, or something like uh, Mike Sebastian Bay. Um, his Dublins and his pokers are, are really um, nice to look at, or something from like Nate King or, or uh, Jeff Grasick. I really enjoy their shapes as well. Um, I, I know that they have some more, I guess, out there shapes with yeah. bamboo um, shanks, right? But I think those are really visually appealing. Um, versus, I guess, what I would traditionally enjoy in a more classic shape. But um, those kind of speak to me uh, from a more practical, more um, approachable standpoint. So early on, you mentioned Savinelli. Was it kind of the the, the finish and the and the gloss, you know, the gloss and the grain and the shaping that kind of appealed to you? I I think what happened was. Um, being on forums and, and scrolling through like Instagram and, and people's posts, um, smoking pipes, I, I saw Savinelli's a lot and, mm-hmm. and they looked like really nice pipes and, and they are nice pipes. Um, but I kind of saw that as the, um, sort of the, the peak of pipe making, um, without really understanding that it okay. was, um, there was a whole other world above that. Yeah. So, so and now and now that you've been watching and listening and gotten involved, now you know that there's that there is the next level. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nothing against Savinelli. They're still great yeah. pipes, right? But, um, you know, something like a hand-carved commission from um, someone like Jeff Grasick is is definitely um, sort of my holy grail at this point versus a Savinelli. So uh, let, let me uh, let me deviate from the questions a little bit. And uh, how many pipes do you own now? That is an area I need to improve, definitely. Um, I, I only have about seven right now. Mm-hmm. I think I've gravitated more towards the tobacco side of the hobby versus the, the pipe side. Um, I, I really enjoy the, the variety of pipe tobaccos. Um, I think now that I have a comfortable seller or stash so to speak um i think i'm going to begin focusing more on on pipe acquisition versus more tobacco not really sure where i'll put anymore to be honest so (laughs) now how often do you get a chance to to smoke a pipe is it a daily or is it a daily routine I, i would say it's probably four or five times a week generally in the morning with like a cup of coffee before i first calls it a work start. Um, I really just enjoy sitting outside as the sun's coming up and the city starts to um, bustle and and sort of come alive and and people are walking their dogs. Um, So I just sit outside and sort of people watch and enjoy my coffee and, and have a, have a bowl. So with seven pipes, you're, you're getting a chance to let those pipes kind of rest in between and, and there's no big, you know, there's no big rush to, it's not like, not like somebody like me who has uh, four or five dirty pipes sitting on my desk yesterday from yesterday, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I got to clean them. So you've got a good yeah, rotation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's. I'd say it's right on the uh, the cusp of being too few. Um, need to add a couple of more, I guess, to be more comfortable with rotating them through. But I, I think at this pace, I'm I'm okay. If I were to increase it at all, then yeah, I definitely need to start looking at um, some acquisitions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have you started kind of dedicating pipes to different tobaccos or your, or is your, or is your tobacco wheelhouse kind of narrow like mine is? I have somewhat. So I have a sort of a shorter, like wider, bold uh, prints from Trevor Talbert, Mm -hmm. one of the Lina Britannia series. Um, I generally smoke English or Balkan or Orientals out of that. And then I have a um, sort of a Dublin shape um, from a carver out of Greece. Uh, I believe his name is Costas Garvelos. Um, it, it's a taller, narrower bowl. So I generally smoke Virginias or, or flakes um, okay. out of that. And then I have like a, a Rattray's like goblin um, shaped pipe that's sort of a do it all at this point. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're getting there. All right, back back to your questions. Um, what are a sure. few of your favorite guests from past episodes and why? I think I'll echo what most people have said and um, say Mike and Mary McNeil from McClelland. <laughs> I, it being more um, gravitate, gravitating more towards the tobacco end of the hobby, I really enjoy listening to the, to the blenders and, and the tobacco manufacturers um, that you interview. I also being that he's a, a friend of mine and here local in the Atlanta area, um, Neil Osborne, right? Yeah. He was fun to listen to. Um, but yeah, those, those two were really good. And I guess <laughs> apologies, but the first, um, pipe podcast I listened to was the country squire. So uh-huh. John David was, was a good one to listen to as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was the, uh, 
Uh, Country Squire was the first podcast pipe podcast I listened to on a regular basis that <laughs> I didn't have to hear me on. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? So I um, I kind of split my time. Half of the time, I will watch something like Netflix or, or Hulu or something like that. And then the other half, I actually enjoy um, playing chess online. So just kind of get my brain a little bit active and, and doing something while I just kind of puff away on a pipe. So did you watch the Queen's Gambit? I did. It's funny. I, I played a little bit of chess before that, but nothing um, that I would consider to be like a hobby level. After the Queen's Gambit, I definitely got more interested. Yeah. Um, I'm still, a, a, it, my abilities are abysmal. Um, I'm a very terrible chess player, but it's a lot of fun well, to just kind of sit there and see what you can do. When we get together one time, you bring the chessboard, you can kick my butt, but I'll outsmoke you. <laughs> Perfect. There. Perfect. We can learn from each other. Yeah. All right. You get to ask me one question, anything you want to know. Um, yeah, this one, this one was kind of tough to, to think about. I guess I don't really have any pipe related questions. Um, I know you're a huge Disney fan, right? So I guess if, uh, going down to Disney world, what's kind of the best kept secret or your, your favorite thing to do that I guess most people wouldn't, um, have known about. Uh, well, my favorite thing to do is now not available to do it. Walt Disney World or at the Magic King or at Disneyland, but you can still do it at Disneyland Paris. One of my favorite things to do is to get into one of the smoking sections with a good cup of coffee and sit there and people watch and smoke my pipe. You have to find this. You have to find the smoking areas that are more comfortable than others. Uh, but in the past, at the Magic Kingdom in Florida, it would have been the Frontierland smoking area. It was on a little pier over over the river, you know, looking over the river, and then you get the steamboat coming by. And anyway, um, it, now, uh, you know, there's a whole. Uh, so my thing is with the Disney parks is not so much that I have to go on all the rides; I have to just kind of be there. And for me, growing up in California. When you go to Walt Disney World, the two must-do attractions for me are, uh, well, actually, I guess there's three. Um, yeah, two. Uh, the People Mover in Tomorrowland is the last. It's the last and only People Mover still around, and that was, you know, that goes back to uh, when the People Mover was introduced into Disneyland in the '60s. I just have fond memories of it. It's just an easy ride. You get on it, you sit down, nothing scares you, nothing thrills you. You just go around and you see stuff and it's nice and comfortable mm -hmm. and relaxing. Uh, the other one is the carousel of progress at the magic kingdom in Tomorrowland. And that was the show that was designed for the 1964 world's fair for general electric uh, that one was overseen. Uh, Walt actually oversaw the 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 story behind the show and the creation of the show. And to me, what's absolutely fascinating about it, besides the fact that the old guy still holds a pipe in it in the 1940s scene, <laughs> so you know, you know, the host of it's got to be cool. He's got a pipe. Um, 
I was there one time and the pipe had fallen down and I was like, shit, can I run up on that stage without setting off the alarms and grab that pipe and have it for, yeah, but I didn't. <laughs> um, Carousel of Progress is, for you young people that don't know, the theater, the, the seating area of the theater rotates around the stage. So you go around six different scenes. One of them's the load-in scene. One of them's the exit scene, and then there's four others in between. And they are all timed so that the theater moves all at the same time. Each scene oh, wow. is the same length and starts and ends on the same part of the music. So the timing of it and just the way the story moves and it's complete and the fact that Walt worked on it and the fact that that show went from the New York World's Fair to Disneyland in California and then when Walt Disney World needed some more rides, they moved it from... So it's just really... It's one of those... Yeah, it's really old school animatronics. It's really bad. It's really corny. It's got got some terrible dad jokes in it. And it's really dated. But yeah, going on Carousel of Progress and the People Mover are always two things that, you, that I have to do when I go to the Magic Kingdom. Uh, pipe smoking wise... Um, yeah, good luck. Um, House of Blues downtown at Disney Springs has a great little outdoor smoking area where you can buy drinks and sit outside and and watch people walk by and they don't hassle you about it. Um, pipe smoking wise, I guess some of the best smoking areas are kind of the Yacht and Beach Club uh, hotel and the because uh, you've got a view of the pool and the and a little bit of the lagoon out there. Um, mm -hmm. if you're really into enjoying your, like you said, getting up in the morning and watching the world wake up with a cup of coffee and a pipe, uh, the cabins at Fort wilderness, their little one bedroom, uh, one bedroom condo, uh, cabins that you can park right in front of and right out on the deck is a, it has a little private deck with a little barbecue or grill space and a table and, and a picnic table. And you can sit out there make your coffee in your own kitchen right in that little one bedroom, walk the 10 feet out the front door and go sit and smoke and watch the world wake up. Uh, you do have to be careful. There was wild turkeys and snakes the last time we were there. So <laughs> it is Florida. I'm not a fan of snakes. Yeah. Not a fan of snakes at all. I mean, we, we get those in Georgia too, but not, not very often. Yeah. So did that, that kind of answer your question? No, that was great. Um, it, your your knowledge of Disney is encyclopedic. I've only been a couple times, so that's very helpful. I appreciate that. And don't wait until you have kids to have to go back as an adult because it's a whole different experience without kids, and it's a different experience with kids. So both yeah. of them are fun. Uh, all right, are you ready for your fast five final questions? Yeah, I'm ready. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. What is your favorite pipe? I'd have to say right now it's the um, it's the Trevor Talbert Prince. Um, small, it's light, it sits uh, sits upright when I set it down, and it's just a great smoker. And what is your favorite tobacco? This one's tough. Um, a huge fan of Virginias, and I've been smoking a lot of them this summer because it's been so hot. Um, but I'd have to say my my number one favorite tobacco is margate and um, esoterica margate any problems getting a hold of it 
fortunately, I've been able to to stock away a, a pretty good amount. Um, some of the shops in the area. I don't know if there's a huge cohort of pipe smokers in Atlanta, so it's been I wouldn't say easy, but um, easier to to source than I would have expected. Well, now it won't be. Everybody will know. <laughs> um, what is your favorite drink? This one's also tough. Um, I would probably just have to say, um, like a good, like a good, like lager. Um, I'm a beer fan, so like a good German style. Um, lager is probably my, my favorite drink. So if you go to Walt Disney World, you can go to Epcot and get a good German beer back there. Uh, although you yeah. can't smoke with it, so don't do that. <laughs> I haven't been to Ep or, uh, Epcot since I was a kid, so now that I'm of legal drinking age, uh, I'll be able to experience it in a whole different way. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, uh, yeah, don't try to drink around the world. That's where you go to each country. <laughs> you go to each country and you yeah. buy one drink at each one and there's 11 stops and yeah, good luck. No, thanks. Um, <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie or music? So I should prefer a book, but I think more realistically, um, it, it's a movie or a television show. Yeah. Um, so Sitting back watching the Queen's Gambit and wondering, no, um, and then, <laughs> wondering why I can't play like her. Yeah, yeah, um, and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? A vast majority of my pipe smoking is done um, alone, like in a solitary setting. Um, I, I think it was actually funny how I met um, Neil and Pod. Okay. I was. Uh, walking my dog with my girlfriends and I was smoking um, one of my pipes. I have a, a Boswell. We were able to stop at the shop one time when I was going back up to New York, smoking some like Northwoods and um, you know, he's a huge photographer. Yeah. So he um, was walking around Piedmont park, which is the, the big park here in Atlanta. And we were hanging out and uh, he kind of approached us and was asking about what um, blend I was smoking. And we got into talking a little bit about pipes and, um, that kind of fostered uh, the, the friendship that we have. Um, so that was probably my, my favorite related yeah. memory, not just because of meeting Neil, but um, also finding someone in the wild sort of fortuitously yeah. <laughs> who was also a pipe smoker. Running into a pipe smoker in the wild is a rare thing. And then to find out that it's Neil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, um, it was very fortunate and I'm, I'm very glad that it happened. Misha, thank you very much for coming on and doing this, and uh, thanks for putting up with me and uh, keep all the keep all the smoking going. And I'm glad you haven't figured out exactly how long it is until I drop dead. So, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, as much as you self-deprecate, it's it's been very enjoyable. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age. What you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this. And you know it too. 
So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And I always, I'm really enjoying talking to these newer pipe smokers. I always hear something a little bit different. And by talking to the younger ones, I get exposed to some new stuff. In particular, Misha pointed me towards a musician named Marcus King, M-A-R-C-U-S-K-I-N-G, no related to BB or Albert or Freddie, but uh, Marcus King is a blues rock guitar player that is a young guy with an old soul. And uh, Misha thought I would like him. I liked him so much that you're going to hear uh, Wildflowers and Wine is the name of the song. And it's from his album. It's from the Marcus King, the Marcus King album, El Dorado. Wildflowers and wine The old scratchy record Plays in the background Of our lives We're still here dancing After all this time Wildflowers and Evergreen, a golden sun, like I've never seen. I pick them one at a time, wildflowers and Thank you. 
Marcus King Band, led by singer, songwriter, and guitar player Marcus King, who is in his mid-twenties, and the album's diverse, but this one I picked because, boy, that guitar solo. Mm-mm-mm. Sweet, merciful crap! And in the mailbag, if you have a comment or question, you can email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Or post on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, or you can send me smoke signals, or you can, um, I don't know, uh, tweet it. No, don't tweet it. Follow me on Instagram and uh, Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. Can't handle the Twitter. All right. uh, I found a couple that I had missed in the past and thought I would use this uh, way, way pre-recorded show to get caught up on them because, uh, you know, I kind of suck at keeping email straight. Uh, anyway, Cap writes in, uh, does your tobacco cellar have to be in a climate controlled room? I have a newly built, well-insulated shop. It has AC, but I only turn it on when I'm out there. And this is a common question that comes up often. So I thought it was worthwhile to mention again, uh, unless you're Fred Hanna, heat is the enemy of tobacco and so is cold. So my goal is is to keep the tobacco between 55 degrees Fahrenheit and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Whatever that works out to in Celsius, you all do the conversion. Uh, The reason I picked 55 and 80 is because 55 is where you want a wine cellar at, so tobacco can't be too far behind. Uh, Cigars do well in 65 degrees and, you know, relative humidity. But you really don't want them getting too cold or too hot because you don't want those temperature fluctuations to affect the packaging. All right. And you don't want the heat to get them too hot and get them over, you know, get them uh, warmed up and over moldy. Uh, You know, I do my sun treatment for a day in a glass jar, maybe two days. That's about it. And that just helps speed along the marrying and aging of it. But again, 55 to 80 degrees is where I would keep it. I keep my tobacco here in the house. In the house, we keep it set at 76 during the summer and 69 during the winter, maybe 70, depending on how cranky I am. All right, and Alex writes, Hello, Brian. I've discovered your podcast quite recently, and I've enjoyed a lot since then. I've been listening to episode 466 with Matt Dixon. Great personality and much interesting facts about chocolate and what's in common with tobacco. 
During the conversation, you two have been talking about the involving of tobacco in the flavoring of edible products, especially chocolate. Uh, in my just over my just ended vacation, I've been in Sicily, especially in Modica, a small town famous for her artisanal chocolate. I visited a great manufacturer that was actually producing tobacco flavored chocolate. They were offering a vast choice between different tobaccos, and the process is quite simple. They take the final product and age for some amount of time in boxes filled with that said tobacco. Unfortunately, I didn't dare to ask for brands or and blends. I got the Latakia ones, even if I'm not a great fan of Latakia in my bowl, but I thought they would have been the most characteristic and a fun way to let non-smokers taste Latakia. And they smell and taste pretty funky, just like taking a big sniff from a nightcap can. I kind of like them. I think I'll order the other ones, too. Uh, the website is www.sabadi.it. And uh, then he says, thank you for your time in making such an interesting podcast on such an interesting passion even against all the odds, greetings from Italy and pardon a few mistakes in my English here and there, Alex. Alex, your English is perfect compared to my very bad Italian, which I've been practicing a little bit before we left. So, um, you know, please excuse my uh, very bad Italian and I'll just say grazie for your email. And uh, you know what? Uh, I may I may uh, see if I can find the chocolate while I'm in Italy, and if I can't, I may just try to order some. Sabadi, S-A-B-A-D-I dot I-T. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so thank you for that. Again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Travel-related questions, reach out to me. I'll help you. I can't book anything for you, but I'm happy to help. All right, rant time is next. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Have I mentioned in the past how I hate scammers? Yeah, you know, the email scammers, the phone call scammers, all the scammers. Well, if you want to have some fun, on YouTube there is a guy named Scammer Payback. He is a uh, computer hacker uh, reverse scammer, and uh, his name is Pierogi, and that's what he goes by. Uh, but he actually gets on the phone with these people and has uh, voice changing mechanisms that he uses to portray older people and will call them back and yeah, he talks to them and, and he wastes their time and he tries to get their information as he's, you know, most of these scammers want you to go get a $500 Best Buy gift card or Amazon gift card. Well, he'll waste their time and drag through it. And then occasionally he'll actually get them to connect with him live and 
you know, like they're helping him set up his computer and he'll hack into their computer in reverse and delete their files. Uh, he does some live streams where he tries to go after some scammers based off of some phone numbers. Uh, the guy is really smart, really funny, and just super talented and he's going back after the scammers so if you're on youtube and you want to watch this it's a hoot he does some short videos some long videos it's scammer payback s-c-a-m-m-e-r payback on youtube he's got over a million subscribers uh, some of his videos have upwards of yeah 300 400 000 views uh, this is what the guy does for a living. His biggest one has 12 million views, and that's where a scammer begs for the files that Pierogi deleted from the guy's computer. Uh, there's been a couple where he has gone, where he's been on live, and the scammers were watching him and called him out. Anyway, scammer payback on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. So there you go. Uh, so hopefully next week I'll be back uh, regular, you know, regular schedule, uh, regular back to recording on Tuesday on Tuesday mornings, and I'll tell you how my trip went. Keep following me on uh, the Facebook and the Instagram. Don't follow me on the Twitters. And thank you very much to Jeff Grasick for joining me. Thank you to Misha, and thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. Clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor?